Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Awesome, awesome. Got to love those minions, right? Come on. Come on. That's good stuff. Well, it is great to see you guys today. Thank you for being here. Bright and early, early service on this warm day. Um, If this is your first time, welcome to all of our guests. Thank you for being here with us and to our North Shore family. It is always a blessing to be with you guys. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. We're going to get there in just a minute. This morning we're in the second week of our series that we're calling Oscar Worthy. And what we're doing throughout this series, besides making an incredible mess in the sanctuary with all the popcorn, is looking at some moments in scripture that are Oscar Worthy moments. We're going to try to identify those Oscar Worthy moments and see what the Holy Spirit would speak to us through these moments. And so last week, if you weren't here, Pastor RJ um, delivered a phenomenal message on the best original song, looking at Psalms 23, the entire chapter of Psalms 23. And if you weren't here with us last week, I would encourage you to go and listen to that message. It was so good, and, and, it, and it so just clearly depicted the heart of a loving father through this shepherd analogy. And there's a couple of ways to do that. You can go on our website. You can go on our app. It's even on our Facebook page. Uh, this last week, and so a couple of ways to do that, but I would highly encourage you to do that. And so what we're doing this week is we're going to look at the category in our Oscar-worthy moments. We're kind of breaking these up into like Oscar categories, and, and so the category that we're looking at this morning is the best supporting role. The best supporting role. And so again, we're just going to have a little bit of fun with this. So I have some pictures here this morning of some supporting role characters Now, these aren't the lead guys. These are the support roles. And so what we're going to do is we're going to conduct a little bit of a test here this morning and see how good these support characters are at um, um, pointing to their hero, pointing to the lead character. So we're going to see if we can identify the hero through their supporting cast here this morning. And so this is kind of like your interaction time. This is kind of warming your vocal cords up for all the amens that are going to come later and the preach brothers. And so this is kind of just getting you ready to talk back to me. So um, we're going to show the support. And I don't, want you to, I don't want you to name that character, but tell me the lead character. So, so here we go. So, so this one, it, it kind of got there quicker. But uh, okay, so somebody give me the lead character. Go ahead and shout it out. Han Solo, that one's pretty easy. There he is, right? So this is um, Samwise Gamgee. He made a promise, a promise, remember that? And his hero is, let me hear it. Um, Frodo, obviously, it's Frodo. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Man, you guys are there, that's what, I like that. I like that energy. We got the Marlins. Okay, on this one, no, go back, go back. We gotta, we gotta talk about this last it's one. It's me, Listen. Mario. This is, 
this is, in all of these, the first picture always kind of reminds me of RJ. And the second picture always kind of reminds me of me, right? Because, you know, I'm the big brother. Mario. Every little brother knows that they're Luigi, and every big brother knows that they're Mario or Batman. He could go either way. So, um, okay, let's go on to the next one. This is for, now listen, be careful. This is for all you sinners out there. Don't admit that you know this, all right? Be careful. Be careful. You don't want to be watching this filth. Okay, who, who is the, who's the guy with it? Obviously Wayne, Wayne's World, excellent, party time, all that stuff. I just read that. I don't, I've never seen the movie. Next, okay, Spock. Who's the hero? We got this one. Okay, Captain Kirk, obviously, Captain's Log, all that stuff. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, obviously. Although, although I think Tinkerbell's star has kind of, okay. You guys are going above. Okay, Aladdin, we got that one. Did we got it? There we go. Okay, let's go on to the next one. We got a couple of more. Holler it out. Woody, there we go, Woody's the hero. We got one more? We got, we got one more. Let's do this. This will be our last one right here. We got Doc Brown, Emmett Brown there. The hero is obviously Marty McFly. Right on. So I, I believe we were supposed to have um, floating skateboards by now, right? How many of you just desperately wanted one of those? Like, like you could not wait to get your hands on one of those things. I was the same way, man. I needed one of those little hoverboards. Even if it was like a Fisher-Price girl one, I still wanted it. Um, but we got this. None of these heroes that we see on here would have been who they are without their supporting cast. We know that. So what we're going to do is, in this message today, we are going to look at the supporting role, the best supporting role. And so um, if we had an Oscar to give to a biblical supporting role, we would give it to the best supporting role, the Oscar for the best supporting role would go to Aaron and her. Aaron and her. Now, I know most of you guys are saying, like, who is that? Like, they, they aren't, like, I don't remember them from Sunday school. Those aren't, like, the first Bible story, like, heroes that you would think of. But we're going to give our Oscar this morning to Aaron and her. Now, let me tell you a little bit about these guys. Now, because they are supporting role, they're going to get probably about three minutes of sermon time today, okay? Um, but that's kind of the way it goes, the supporting role doesn't always get a lot of time. So they're going to get about three minutes. And so let me set some context up. Let us get there for a second. But it's very important for us to um, see sort of how they build into this and, and where we fit in our role in the kingdom uh, of God and in his story that we're a part of. So, so in this, the nation of Israel, who we talk about oftentimes in the Old Testament, um, they have just come out of Egyptian slavery, and so they are a free nation again, and they are getting ready to experience their first battle as a free nation. Living in slavery for 400 years, they haven't really operated with freedom, and so they haven't fought any other nations, and they're getting ready to uh, fight a battle. And what we're going to see is that these two men, Aaron and Hur, are going to play a very important role in gaining and getting the victory for this battle. Now, this role that they're going to play is, seems small 
It seems very unimportant. They don't pick up a sword in any way, shape, or form. But we're going to see that their actions and their intuition turn the tide of this battle and ensure the victory for Israel. So Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 says this. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now we're going to stop there. Uh, because I believe in this one verse alone, you could preach an entire series of messages with this verse. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. So let's go back, Exodus 17, verse 1, and get some context of what's going on at Rephidim. It says this, at the Lord's command, whose command? At the Lord's command... The whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin, which it wasn't like that was a place where everybody was sinning and they were doing bad things, like all you guys who watch Wayne's World. Um, it was just, it was like this area of like Sinai, okay? They were, so they were close to Mount Sinai. So they left this wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Um, wherever the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire led them, the people of God would follow. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. So God leads the people to this place of Rephidim. He looks around and he says, hey, this is a great place to set up camp. Let's camp here. And so the pillar of cloud stops, and that means that everybody, it was time for everybody to settle, to pitch their tents, to, to, to get comfortable. And um, you look at this, and it seems like God had forgotten one very important detail. Like, like God needs to be thinking through some of this stuff a little bit better, right? I mean, he, he needs to pay attention to what's going on around him. Um, God didn't realize, apparently, it seems, that there was no water, and there's about two, three, four million Israelites there with all of their cattle and, and animals and babies and all this stuff. So water is very very important. But in this, I believe God is trying to teach the Israelite people where to look. Okay? He's trying to teach them where to look. And, and so, it, so it's like this. This is an ongoing pattern in the nation of Israel here. So, so freedom from slavery didn't come from within. It came from God. Amen? So when they were in bondage in Egypt, they needed to begin to look up. And when they cried out to God, God began to intervene. So salvation from the, Israel, or salvation from the Egyptian army. After the Israelites were let go, they went up to the Red Sea. They had the Red Sea in front of them. The Egyptian army was coming behind them. They were mad that they let them go. They were going to come recapture them and bring them back into slavery. And probably kill a few just for good measure to make sure that they know, like knock this off. This garbage of, of getting set free. And um, so they were in a really bad place, stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. They needed a hero. They needed salvation. Salvation didn't come from within. It came from above. When Moses lifted his staff and the Red Sea split across, they walked across on dry ground, and then the Red Sea closed on the Egyptian army. Salvation, again, comes from above. When they're walking around in the desert, in, um, yeah, in the desert there, they had no food, and so God feeds them every day with this bread from heaven, from manna, again, Food doesn't come from within, it doesn't come from their efforts and their ingenuity and their ability to plant and grow food in a desert. It came from above. Even their direction, where they were supposed to go in this journey in the wilderness, came from above. And so what God is trying to teach these broken people is he wants them to look to him for everything. God wants his broken people to know 
that if there is anything they need, they should first and foremost look to him. Now, I want to talk to you about this for just a second. Because oftentimes when we have worship services like we, well, like we did in the songs and the Holy Spirit, it feels like his presence is here. Um, there is about an hour and a half in our week where we look to God first. But it seems like the rest of the, the, rest of the week we'll look to everything else for our supply, everything else for our source, everything else for our provision. I, I, I feel like there's probably some of you here this morning and you're searching for something. Like there's a nagging inside of you. I mean, you're looking for something. You need something. I want to tell you this morning that, that whatever it is you're looking for, whatever it is you need, you will ultimately find that in Jesus by looking to him, by looking up. When you begin to learn to look up, no matter what the situation, you will find your answer. You will find your provision. You're looking for salvation? Look up. Look to Jesus. If you're looking for adventure, and, and this doesn't sound very spiritual at all, maybe things are going really well in your life. Maybe you got plenty of money. Maybe your relationships are strong, and, and, and you're just bored. You need some adventure. You want some adventure? Look to Jesus. I mean, I mean you think of the disciples and what Jesus called the disciples to. Man, there was a spirit of adventure. There was adventure that followed them every step of the way. Man, you will not be bored if you follow Jesus closely. You will not be bored if you follow Jesus closely. There's, there's some, of the old, some of the old believers called the Holy Spirit the wild goose because he was always on the move, right? You will not be bored if you follow Jesus closely. Maybe you're here looking for purpose. You just, you just don't have a whole lot of purpose. Um, look to Jesus. Jesus will give you purpose. Maybe you're looking for joy. You don't have joy. Look to Jesus. He'll give you joy. Direction. Look to Jesus. Maybe you need some um, relational help. You know, you know maybe your, your relationships aren't strong. You want some real strong, healthy human relationships. Man, you won't Find real, healthy human relationships if you don't invite Jesus into that process. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you need some power in your life. Maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to know that there is somebody, something, someone greater than you. Look to Jesus. You will find power that you never thought possible when you look to Jesus. You need freedom? Look to Jesus. You need hope? Look to Jesus. I think that even today, God is still trying to show a broken people, us, where to look. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. So what happens in the story is God leads the people to Rephidim, knowing that there's no water there. And this wasn't a mistake. This wasn't an oversight. God leads them there because he wants the people to continue to look to him. In essence, he's saying, hey, stop looking to the ground. Stop trying to dig wells. Because you're not going to get water from there. You are going to get water from me. Look to the heavens. It's as if God was saying, I need you to know you're special. I, I need you to know you're special. You're not just a people, you're my people. You're not just a people, you're my people. I need you to know that today too. That God would say this to you, that the Holy Spirit would say this to you. There's somebody who's feeling less than here this morning. You're feeling small. You're feeling forgotten. You're feeling like, like God doesn't know you or care about you. I think he would say this to you this morning. You're not just a people. You are my people. You're a part of my family. 
And God was trying to get the Hebrew people to understand this. Sometimes God will lead you to a dry and weary and exhausting place on purpose because he wants you to look to him. He wants to remind you that he and he alone is your source. He wants to remind you that he and he alone is your provision. It's not your paycheck, right? It's not your pension. It's not your government. Thank the Lord. It's not your insurance. It's it's not your stock portfolio. It's not your career. God is your source. And with him, there's nothing that you will ever be in need of. But what the people of God did in the Old Testament is they continued to look to something else rather than God for their supply. And so they get to this place at Rephidim. They look around. There's absolutely no water. They need water. And instead of um, responding the way that God is training them to respond, to look to him, because God has already done some amazing things, they begin to complain. These people begin to complain, and they complain to Moses about Moses, right? They complain to Moses about Moses, which is a accurate. It's a perfect picture of what leadership looks like, okay? If you desire a position of leadership in any way, shape, or form, and anybody who, who um, exists within their company in a position of leadership, you know that this is true. You know that when people complain to you about you, that you have elevated yourself to a position of leadership. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Come on. They're not just going to complain about somebody else. You're not like a peer where somebody else is like, man, that guy is an idiot. You know, Pastor Chris is a moron. I, you know, why does he do the things he do? When people actually come to you and complain to you about you, you're like, wow, I have arrived. Like, I am there. I got it. Man, everything I've ever dreamed, here it is, right here. And so people begin to complain to Moses about Moses, and, and things get really really weird. And so they go to Moses and they say, give us some water. We need water. You have to give us something to drink. And so they complain to Moses about Moses. And then they complain about Moses to everybody else. Moses, this idiot, this moron, he led us out here into the desert. Now what are we supposed to do? Right? I mean, at least in Egypt, we had uh, water to drink and we had uh, food to eat. But out here, I mean, you know, they, they beat us and they kept us a slave. But, but Moses is going to kill us. This idiot doesn't have a clue what he's even doing. How is he going to get us enough water for a couple million people to drink? I mean, this guy, what is he doing? And they say it about Moses and to Moses. They tell him, you're worse than Pharaoh. You're worse than the Egyptians. You're going to get us all killed. Moses, you see, Moses, the difference between Moses and the people was that when problems came, Moses knew where to take them. When problems came, Moses knew where to take his issues. They took their problems to Moses. Moses takes his problems to God. But Moses Moses doesn't complain to God about the lack of water. Moses complains to God about the people. He's like, man, these people are crazy. Which often happens in spiritual leadership. (laughs) Dear Lord, these people are crazy. So, so... um, he tells, he tells God, you know, these people are crazy. They're driving me crazy. And, and God gives Moses his plan. He says, okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take some of the elders with you, the elders of, of Israel, take the, the leaders of Israel, take them with you, and, and take your staff. Make sure you have your staff in your hand. That same staff that you had in Egypt, that same staff that you threw on the ground and it turned into a serpent and ate the, the Egyptians, 
snakes. That same staff that you um, struck the Nile with and it turned to blood. That same staff that you raised above the Red Sea and it split in two and then you walked across on dry ground. That same staff that, that has been this physical representation of the power of God in your life. That this, this staff that represents my hand and my power. I want you to take that staff, take some of the leaders of Israel with you and, and the people will kind of be gathered around and they'll be watching you. And I, and I want you to, to go up on, in this place and I want you to hit a rock that I direct you to. And so Moses, he gets the elders there and, and he takes the staff, which is the representation of the power of God, and he goes up on this place and he smacks this rock. And when he does, water begins to pour out of this rock. And, and I don't know how this played out and how it looked uh, um, there visibly, but I would imagine that when, when, when he smacks this rock, that, that just a, a couple of drops of water begin to pour out. And, and um, as what usually happens when God begins to move amongst people is that um is that God begins to move subtly and then it begins to rush and so and so I would imagine that there is a, just a, a couple of drops come out and the people are like great what's this going to do for a couple million people right I mean, we all get to get our tongue wet. I mean, and then that water begins to come out a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more aggressive, and then it turns into a, a little trickle, then a stream, then a river, then a lake, and it's big enough to, to feed several, or to, to quench the thirst of several million people. You know, just this awesome, amazing miracle. And God, again, was trying to show the people that he would be their source, that he would be their supply, that he would be their salvation. Moses was the mouthpiece, sure, but it wasn't Moses. It was the power of God available for the people of God. Take the staff. Take the power of God. And when the power of God is available to the people of God, there will be nothing that is impossible. And it will be more than a song. It will be our heartbeat. When we begin to look to God and trust the power of God, we know that he is our source and nothing is impossible. There's nothing that the people of Israel were in need of. But they kept looking to all of these other things. Can anybody relate to this? Like, man, there is nothing that we're in need of because we have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access to intimacy and relationship with God like, like uh, nobody ever before. And we're constantly looking to other things for our source and for our supply. And what's interesting is in this place of Rephidim, though God did this amazing miracle, this amazing miracle, and it was absolutely God. There wasn't this much water. This much water couldn't be contained in this rock to, to quench the thirst of a million. It was God. It was supernatural. And though God did this amazing miracle, Moses called the place Meribah, which means arguing. Think about this. This place was marked by complaining, it was marked by bitterness. It was marked by open displays of hostility. It was marked by challenges to spiritual leadership. The people were full of doubt, anger, fear, and frustration. There was this massive amount of inner conflict. They were a, really a nation and a house divided. And this is when the enemy attacked. Scripture says, again, go back to, go back to that verse here, 17.8. Um, uh, While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked. This, in the midst of division, is when the enemy attacked. Of course he did, right? Of course the enemy attacked at this point. The enemy knows when you are at your weakest, and that's when he's going to attack. The enemy will always mount an attack on 
when there is turmoil within. This, this is true in your family. In, in, in your family, when there's eter- internal strife, when there's internal tension, this is essentially the green light for the enemy to advance in your life. While you're camped at Rephidim, the enemy is going to advance. This is true in your marriage. In your marriage, in your relationship with your spouse, in those times where there's open hostility, when there's unforgiveness, when there's bitterness, when there's unkind conversation, I think a lot of tension in marriage could be alleviated if you just learned how to be nice to each other. You know, just talk nice. Just say nice things. Um, Stop yelling at each other. Stop belittling each other. Because it's in those moments when there's internal conflict that the enemy begins to attack. And, 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 and he attacks different ways. Maybe, maybe he'll attack with, with opportunity for a f- affair or he'll attack your finances or he'll attack your health. But when, there's internal, when internal strength erodes, external attacks will always come. We gotta stop assuming that the enemy fights fair because he never does. He never does. This is true in the church. I'm convinced that one of the only things that can diminish the glory of God is fighting amongst the people of God. I'll say it again. I'm convinced that one of the only things that can diminish the glory of God is fighting amongst the people of God. Think about this. This was an awesome miracle. Water comes from a rock. It quenches the thirst of a couple million people. But Moses didn't call this place the Lord will provide. He doesn't call this place, um, um, you know, founts of refreshing. He doesn't call this place like the mysterious oasis or the divine oasis. He calls this place Meribah, which means arguing. This area, this place that should have been a representation of God's goodness and grace was marked with arguing and bitterness. And it stole God's glory because the people of God were arguing. When bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and petty preferences run rampant in the church, the kingdom of God will always suffer damage. When internal fractures appear within a church, external attacks will always come. It happens at that place of Rephidim. This is true for a nation. Think about America right now. Think about where we are. Think about how divided we are as a country. I mean, there's this internal conflict. There's this internal tension. There's this internal divide. I mean, the red and the blue have never been further apart than they are right now. There's tension everywhere. There's racial tension that's that's beginning to renew itself with with real aggressive energy in our nation. And, And it seems like, and I'm not trying to speak prophetically or anything like that. But it seems like we are in a prime position to be on the receiving end of an attack. And certainly, we have been under spiritual attack for a long time in America, yes? I mean, the enemy, uh, you know, the the spiritual enemy has been attacking and attacking and attacking, and and we're seeing all sorts of strength and unity erode in our nation, but it, it probably means that we're becoming real vulnerable and real susceptible to a physical attack as well. It means, you know, we as the church need to be a unifying factor. We need to be a unifying agent. We need to be careful what we post on Facebook Right? We need to be a people who are unifying and not dividing. We need to stand up for, for uh, Scripture. We need to stand up for what's right. 
but we need to be a people who are unifying in our American culture. And so they're at this place of Rephidim, and this is when the, the people of Amalek, the, the Amalek army, begins to attack. Verse 9, so Moses commanded Joshua, he says, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. And so the nation of Israel had no army. They hadn't fought a battle in over 400 years. And Moses says, hey, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out amongst the people. I want you to recruit and train an army in a day, because we're fighting tomorrow. This is what he says. And so he says, go out, find a group of people that will fight with you. I know we don't have a lot of swords or any swords or anything like that, but, but let's, let's get out there and let's get after it. Let's get this thing done. I'm gonna go stand up on top of the hill and watch you. Do a really good job, Joshua. This is important. This is essentially what Moses is saying. And so, You know, don't you love it when you serve with a leader that places these kinds of realistic expectations on you can anybody maybe you've worked for somebody like that like uh, you're asking me to do something I have no ability to do I in fact I love this I, I I'm going to start doing this from now on I'm going to start placing massive unrealistic expectations on all of our I'm going to do this with RJ this week I don't know if he's in there but I'm going to I'm going to pull him in my office this week I'm going to say RJ here's the deal we got two and a half million dollars of debt we're going to get this thing taken care of you got a week man Find some donors, get it done. You know, I'm going to be in my office reading. Let's get after it. But this is, what, this is what Moses does. I mean, the task is absolutely impossible, but the reality is it wasn't more impossible than what happened in Egypt, was it? It wasn't more impossible than what happened at the Red Sea. It wasn't more impossible than, than God feeding the Israelite people manna. It wasn't more impossible than striking a rock and enough water coming to, to uh, quench the thirst of the, this people. This wasn't the first impossible situation that Moses had faced. Moses was approaching tomorrow with a great understanding that with God, nothing is impossible. There are some of you here that are facing some things. I believe that the Lord would give that as a word of encouragement for you. You need to approach tomorrow knowing that with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible, and it's more than a song. It needs to be our heartbeat. Some of you are getting ready to face a battle. You're in a situation that you know you can't win. That's impossible. But listen, it's not more impossible than what God has already done in your spirit. It's not more impossible than the eternity that he's already guaranteed for your family. It's not more impossible what he's already done for you in your past. And so you need to face tomorrow knowing that with God nothing is impossible. Some of you are sick physically. You are in a bad spot relationally. Some of you just need a healing and a divine touch. Know that with God nothing is impossible. It's more than a song. It's more than a song. And so this is, what, this is what was asked to do. So verse 10. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. So he recruited a, 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 an army. He trained them like half a day. And they went out the next day and they fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. So finally, you know, we're, we're over halfway through the message. And Aaron and Hur get mentioned for the first time. 
Like, but, but here's the deal. They're just supporting role. They're just supporting cast. And, and just think about this for a second. Imagine how effective we would be in advancing the kingdom of God if we were okay carrying a supporting role. Imagine if, if we didn't fight for spotlight or fight for attention or fight for a role, whatever that role is, big or small. Imagine how effective we could be for the kingdom of God if we were all just okay with the role that God had given us. You may be here this morning, you may be thinking, you know what, you know, I don't play a big role in this whole God thing, you know, I'm not a pastor, I don't get paid, I'm not a ministry leader anywhere, my role is very, very small, I have a small role in this anyway, so what does it really matter whether or not I, I do it, my role is so small. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, I want to encourage you, but I'm not going to lie to you this morning and say, no, come on, don't think that way, your role is really big, no. Because the reality is, all of our roles are very small, yes? And think how freeing this is. We play a very small supporting role. None of us have big roles. You have a small role. I have a small role. Billy Graham has a small role in the kingdom of God, yes? We all play supporting roles in this. But if you're faithful and you're willing and obedient, God can and will use your small role for his divine purposes. He just will. Like, like we used to sing the song when I was, was younger in youth group, you know. I want to dream big dreams, accomplish great things, climb many mountains for God. And, and I think sometimes, uh, for me, I, I want to be encouraged. I want to dream big. But, but I think sometimes that, that um, sets unrealistic expectations in, in my life. And, and the, the song wouldn't sound so great and it wouldn't encourage my heart as much if, if it was, I, I want to just be faithful every day. But that's the reality of it. I, I, I don't care if it's big things. I just want to be faithful in small things. God, I want to be faithful in small things. Don't you want to dream big? Well, maybe, but, but I want to be faithful in small things. I just want to play my supporting role well. And if I get like 20 minutes of airtime or 20 seconds of airtime, I don't care. I just want to be faithful in my small role. When we went to Africa several years ago, there to plant some churches, the, the missionary we were there with, he, um, he allowed us to share testimonies through an interpreter. I even preached on Sunday morning, the very first Sunday that this church was open, I preached through an interpreter. The message wasn't good um, at all. It was a terrible message. I, I couldn't connect to the people. I, I mean, they were just sitting there staring at me, uh, very unresponsive. And in fact, it was a little bit better than the message I'm preaching today. So, uh, um, but that's how it goes sometimes, right? Um, and so, uh, I wasn't able to connect with them. Like I said, it wasn't very good. Um, the missionary was kind of just throwing me a bone, trying to make me feel important. It wasn't until later that I finally discovered what my role there was. He didn't tell me. The missionary didn't tell me what it was. I, I, I had to figure it out on my own. And, and my role there, our role there um, on that missions trip was very simple. It was to be a white person. That's it. And you're like, do I laugh at that? Or, you know, I don't know. But that's, that was our role, to be white. And I play that role very well, right? <laughs> I'm a natural. I'm a white guy. But that's what it was. So we were in this African village, and white people show up. These three white people show up. 
And so it created a, a stir. Like, man, there's white people here. Let's go check out the reason why these white people were there. And, and we were there, and we, we told them our story, and they're like, not, not connecting with that story at all. And then the missionary or the real pastor would come up and preach. And because we were white and people came, they told them about Jesus. And people after people, dozens, hundreds of people, gave their heart to Jesus because they wanted to come see why white people were in their village. I can play that role. That's not a big role, right? But I can do that. Jesus has the lead role pretty well locked up, doesn't he? He just does. He isn't looking for superstars. He isn't looking for people to share top billing. He isn't looking to put somebody else's name on the top of the poster. It's Christ alone, right? It's him and him alone. And, and what he does is he invites us to be small supporting pieces of his divine plan. You may be holding out for something better. You may want top billing. You may want it to be about you. You may be building your legacy, your dream, your future, your this and your that. But, but look, Jesus invites us to have a small supporting role in his plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to take that one because that's a better role for me than me being the king of my own show. You know what I'm talking about? Even if in the kingdom of God it's just a short 20-second cameo, I'll take it because I want to be in his picture. Do you understand the analogy? Because I want to be in his picture. I want to be a part of his kingdom. And, and if he wants me to be a white man in an African village, I'll do that. If he wants me to, to pray for my kids at night, I can do that. Like, nobody's seeing that. That's not creating pub. That's not getting a whole lot of Facebook likes. But I can do that. If he wants me to be a dorm leader for a group of boys at kids camp, I can do that. And through it, think, man, God, what's the point of this? All I'm doing is breaking up fights and telling people, stop squirting each other with that invisible ink. Right? They should ban invisible ink from kids camp. Man. But in that, I'm thinking, God, I mean, what's the, what's the point? What's the purpose here? Like, what am I doing? You know, this, is, this doesn't feel like it has any real impact, but it's creating an opportunity and an environment for those boys to go to connect with Jesus that, in a way that has the potential to change their life forever. It may not change the world. Listen, it may not change the world, but it may change their life forever. Small supporting roles, and I'm okay with that. I, I, you know, I can, I can um, create an environment where people will come um, and eat popcorn and listen to the message of God, and, and that's not a big role. It's just a very, very small role, but I can do that. I don't need to hold out for something bigger. I don't need to build my brand. Jesus is the star anyway. He's the hero. It's his name on the poster. I'm just thrilled to have a supporting role, Amen. So, so when, when you think, what's the point in all of this? In whatever role your role is, you think, what's the point? It's so small. Yes, it is small. But you're in his story. So it doesn't matter how big that role is. Play that small role. Be faithful in that small role. And that doesn't even guarantee you'll get a bigger role. Maybe he just wants you to be faithful in your small role till the day you die. Now, now watch what happens, because God doesn't want anyone to get confused on who is responsible for the victory in this battle. Verse 11, it says, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, 
the Israelites had the advantage. Everybody say the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. The first part of verse 12 says this. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. Now, I have to be honest with you. I don't fully know how to interpret this scripture. See, it was customary for the Jews in that day to lift their arms in prayer. We have several instances in Scripture that will tell us this. Psalms chapter 63, verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands up to you in prayer. David says in Psalms chapter 28, verse 2, Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. So there was some precedent that when they prayed, they lifted their hands. So, you know, that's why in worship, in prayer, we lift our hands to God, reach to God, reach to the holy sanctuary, reach to God, look up, reach up. That, that There's some precedence in that when we pray, we lift our hands. So maybe this was a spiritual thing. Maybe Moses was praying, and, and, and maybe he did become spiritually tired, because sometimes it is hard to pray for, you know, an hour, pray all day. Sometimes it's hard to pray for more than 10 minutes. Amen? Come on. Any of you Wayne's World watchers out there know what I'm talking about? Right? Sometimes it is hard to pray. We get distracted. We lose spiritual energy, and, and we just get tired. We get bored. We, we stop praying. And so maybe it was a spiritual thing that as long as he had his hands up in the air, he was making intercession. And as long as he was making intercession, people had the advantage. And once he stopped praying, they stopped having the advantage. They started losing the battle. With this thought fresh in your mind, I want you to consider Romans chapter 8, verse 34. It says this, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised, who is right now at the right hand of God, who indeed is making intercession for us. Think about this. God doesn't tell Moses to come in and pray for us, which would be really cool if he did, right? Think if Moses came down the aisle with his big beard and, you know, you know the, the staff and everything, and he said, hey, Chris, um, I'm Moses. Hey, cool, Moses, come on up. You know, you got the floor. He said, I just want to pray for the people. How many of you would think that would be super cool if Moses would come in here and pray for us, right? I'd be down, right? I'd be like, yeah, Moses, let's get on this. Um, but God doesn't say that Moses is making intercession for you. Look at this. He says, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you right now. Think about this through the, through the analogy of this scripture right now. That means when we are here on this earth fighting our battles, that as long as Jesus is making intercession for us, we have the advantage. And as soon as Jesus stops praying for us, we lose the advantage. But here's the thing. Jesus will never stop praying for us. He never gets tired. He never gets bored. His arms never become exhausted. He never drops them down. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he is praying for you. He is praying for your situation. And as long as Jesus is praying for you, your situation, your relationships, and your finances, you have the advantage. And that's so cool. That is so cool. So... So maybe this was a spiritual thing. Maybe it was about Moses' ability to continue in prayer. Or maybe it was just a physical thing. Maybe God told Moses to hold the staff because he wanted everybody to know that it was God's power and not man's power that gained the victory that day. And, and he wanted God to be on display. And as soon as God wasn't on display, they lost the advantage because he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that it was God. And so maybe he was just standing up there holding the staff up in the air and looking down and not praying at all because he wanted the people to see that it was God and not man and their efforts that, that won the battle. He didn't want to share his glory with anybody's false assumption that said, hey, I'm pretty good with the sword. But I wonder if it wasn't just a little bit of both. Yes, as long as his arms were raised, he was praying for the army below. And, and, and yes, his arms were getting physically tired. 
And my question is, how many of you have ever let physical fatigue keep you from spiritual things? Maybe you think I should really pray and read my Bible, but I'm just too tired. Any of you? You know, I really should reach out to my neighbor, my coworker who's going through a hard time, but I just don't have the energy to deal with their relational messes. That ever happened to you? You feel God telling you something, but you're just, man, I'm just, I'm just exhausted. Life is too crazy. I really should volunteer in ministry, but life is just too exhausting right now. I just, I just don't have the energy for it all. I just need a break. I really should read scripture with my kids, but I just need a minute to myself. You know, everything we do in life is for our kids anyway. We're driving them all over the place. Everything we do, we're, you know, we're getting them snacks and treats and, and buying them things. And so, you know, I know I really should pray and read scripture and talk to them about Jesus, but I just need a minute to just sit down, uh, leave me alone, right? Hand me my phone. I just need to zone out for a little bit. And, and, and we're just too physically tired to invest spiritually into our kids. Perhaps it's time for us to reevaluate our calendars and our schedules, it just may be that you and I are foregoing spiritual victories because we're just too physically tired. Am I talking to anybody this morning? That's a scary thought, isn't it? But listen, there's a turning point. About two minutes left here. There's a turning point. And it's not Moses just gritting his teeth and, and, and pushing through even though his arms are tired. It's not Joshua coming up with this awesome battle strategy down in the valley. But there's a turning point, and it comes with Aaron and Hur. Watch what they do. It's so simple, but it's genius. The second part of verse 12 says this. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for Moses to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. This might very well be the most anticlimactic ending of a battle that we've ever seen. You know, in most battles, you have this moment, this big conversation, right? Like, like in um, Braveheart, they can take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Yeah, everybody charge, come on, you know, and they all died anyway. But, but it doesn't matter, that was still inspiring, right? I mean, this isn't even the slow clap in the Hoosiers locker room before the big game, right? It's nothing. It's just, hey, Moses is tired, let's get him a rock. You stand on this side, I'll hold this arm. You stand on this side, I'll hold this arm. And there they stood for an entire day. They just held his arms, shifting the weight, holding his arms. You know, just put your arm on my shoulder there, Moses. I mean, it's just, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. And then just for a day, they held his arms, right? They, they didn't overcomplicate things. This was so boring. Moses is tired. His arms are getting sore. You stand here. I'll stand here. Let's get him a rock. Let, let's just do this. And because Aaron and Hur saw a need and met a need, the people of God survived the battle. They didn't overcomplicate it. They didn't over-spiritualize it. It was simple, easy. It was boring, but effective. It dealt with the spiritual, the hands. It dealt with the physical, the rock, so he could sit down. And I believe that we, as the people of God, would become more victorious over and over and over again if we would just merely support each other. Not just support the man of God as he's standing up here and preaching, but, but pray for us. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Amen? Shouldn't have had to say amen. You guys should have been saying amen anyways, but... Pray for us, but let's, we as the people of God need to be supporting each other. Not fighting for other people to support us, but supporting each other. And we gotta stop overcomplicating things. You see somebody in need and, and you have some ability to meet a need, meet the need. You see somebody 
need spiritually and you have an ability to, to speak into their life, to pray for them, to, to speak a word of encouragement or a word of knowledge over them, then, then operate in those gifts. Let's not overcomplicate things. Let's just operate in, in the abilities that we have. Can you be a rock? Be a rock. Can you hold somebody's hands up? Hold somebody's hands up. Can you play the piano? Then play the piano. We need to be there to support each other. And I want to close with this thought as you guys stand to your feet. What made Aaron and her Oscar worthy was their effort and their ability to redirect the focus. They weren't Oscar worthy because they were awesome and they were standing at attention. They weren't Oscar worthy because they ripped the, the staff out of Moses' hand. They were Oscar worthy because they were able to redirect people's attention, not to a tired Moses, but to a Moses with the staff in his hand lifted high. Their role was to put Moses front and center and the power of God on display for all to see. Their role was to say, even when the spiritual leader's strength fails, God is still powerful. Though Moses is not strong, Moses doesn't have to be strong because we can stand next to him and be his strength. But even when Moses is weak, God is still strong. When the people of God in the valley looked up and they saw that God is so strong, they continued to have the advantage all day until they won the victory. So my question is, when people look at you, when people look in your direction, who is the hero that they see? When we look at Chewbacca, we don't think of him, we think of Han Solo. When we look at Spock, we don't think of him, we think of Captain Kirk. When people look at you, who is the hero that they see? If you're the hero that they see, you're gonna let them down and you're gonna fail miserably in your life. But if as they look in your direction, they see King Jesus, that's a role that I wanna play. I can do that. I can fill that role because there's no pressure. Man, isn't this free? When we realize that our role is just to support the kingdom of God and to support the king of kings, I hope that my actions put Jesus on display. I hope that my attitude puts Jesus on display. I, I, I don't want a lead role. I don't need a lead I don't want my name on the, the poster. That's too much pressure. I just want to be faithful in the small role that God has given me. Bow your heads, close your eyes all We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.